Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, good afternoon, and evening, everyone, and welcome, 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 as I always say on my show, It's All About the Questions. This is my first ever live streaming into Facebook for my radio show, It's All About the Questions, and I'm excited, excited, excited to be here. I can't promise you, everybody, that I'm going to be able to look at the Facebook Live comments as they stream through, but I promise that I will be looking afterwards, and Jay um, McBain, who is my amazing guest, knowing him, he will be all over any questions that you guys have up there as well. And we are still going to podcast as well, listen to in close to 40-some-odd countries around the world. Um, as of this morning. So thank you all for loving the show and commenting and letting me know what you think of the show and supporting the guests that I have who are amazing individuals. You may not have heard of some of them or you may have. My goal as always with the show is to help you shift your perspective, learn a few new questions you might want to ask, and above all, just enjoy being an entrepreneur, enjoy life. And today I get the man on the other side of the screen here, Jay McBain, live with me. Finally, it's only taken me, I don't even know how many years, Jay. <laughs> and it took a pandemic to be able to get us to get your schedule when you're not traveling around the world somewhere in some time zone to, um, to be here with me. So I hate to say it, but thank you, pandemic. <laughs> from pandemics to pandemonium, we're together. So it's fantastic. We, we are together. And I mean, Jay, I've followed your career in, in the tech world since the very, very early days when I had my um, reseller MSP tech support services company. And I've always loved this idea. Now you're with Forrester as, an, as a senior analyst, really like the analyst as far as I'm concerned. I think of you as a futurist, and I didn't realize this, but on your bio, you're a member of the World Future Society. I didn't even know there was such a thing. There, there actually is. It's a, it's a really cool thing. And um, when I got my first job at IBM in 1994, I was in the help desk, and you know, like everybody, I loved Star Trek, and I, you know, kind of loved where the world was going and, and right. stuff like that. And what was interesting is IBM at the time was. Uh, hiring 10% of all the PhD graduates in the world. So, you know, from that time till today, IBM has more patents every year than any other company on research of the future at the atomic level. And, you know, things like um, they're just about to play chess in about a year, year and a half to Gary Kasparov. Right. And I remember that. Time, a computer beat a grandmaster at, at chess. And that then became Watson that beat, um, you know, Jennings on, on Jeopardy and, right. you know, where it is today. But th they were working on something called a personal area network where you shake hands and you exchange business cards over the electricity that runs through your body. Oh, my God. I never heard of that. How did I not hear about that? Well, it's kind of creepy. It really never took really? off. Yeah. But the, the fact of the matter is just looking at science in, in a new way. And then most importantly, I think most exciting for me was a bunch of IBM fellows, along with Harvard and MIT and Oxford and some of the smartest people in the world came together and studied teleportation, 
like Star Trek, beam me up, teleportation. Like, like really, beam me up, Scotty, the whole nine yards. Yeah, the whole thing. And, and they came back and basically said, it's possible. And they backed it up. There's an 8,000 page, really big, you know, analysis that came back through the electronic tunnel, uh, tunneling, scanning microscope can go in and, and, and um, be able to do this uh, at scale at the atomic level. And it, by the way, it's possible. And then later on, it was actually proven. Some Australian uh, university kids actually uh, did it. So the world of teleportation, I mean, we're still 100 years away. Right. But Beat Me Up Scotty is actually possible. And so all this stuff was happening. And they asked around, you know, does anyone want to kind of represent this and go out to schools and go out to colleges, go out to business audiences, go on TV and talk about the future. And um, I was the first to put up my hand and, and yeah, I was a 23 year old kid on TV talking about the future of technology. And there I joined the world future society where they study the future of everything. And, you know, it's just the most fascinating association because you go from one session to the next, like, the right. future of jails, the future of government, the future. And some people look ahead 18 months and some people look ahead a thousand years. Like what's the year 3000, you know, going to look like. So it's just a kind of a fascinating world. I, I can't even imagine looking ahead a thousand years because our world is changing so rapidly that stuff that I never thought would happen in my lifetime is already in the past. Right. And we're, we're far beyond that. And then things that I thought for sure would come to fruition are, are nowhere even close. Yeah. So at, as somebody who works in the tech world still, who is thinking to the future of where businesses are going, I mean, what are you seeing? What are you thinking about that is what you thought would happen or would thought would not happen? Yeah, the one thing that is happening um, that is a little bit of a surprise, but if you're a futurist and put all the clues together, um, it makes sense. You know, the one thing that's happening is every company in every industry is becoming a tech company. Okay. So Accenture, for example, went and did a, a survey of all the CEOs in the world of every company in every industry. And they came back and said, 76% of CEOs today think their current business model will be unrecognizable in five years. Okay. Think about every company, every bank, every pharmaceutical company, you know, every forklift manufacturer, every paperclip company, like think about just broad-based, you know, every industry, all 27 industries. They're all facing disruption, which we know. And it's not just COVID, it's not the pandemonium, it's not just the things that are here and now, but there are forces at play, and most of them are technology forces that are questioning whether that industry, not just the company, but whether the industry is gonna survive. So let me use some examples. Like if you look at emerging technology and let's say the top 10 emerging technologies coming down the, the, the pike, AI and automation. Okay, and AI, everybody, if you're not familiar, artificial intelligence. Yeah, it changes everything. And you know, the future of work. Um, you know, today there was a big study through the BBC and through a lot of universities that 47% of jobs today in all uh, facets, in white collar, blue collar, and mixed, are and can be replaced by technology that already exists. Okay, that's fascinating. So if you are a truck driver today or know a truck driver, it's the number one job in America. There's 3.3 million truck drivers. 
Okay. Well, if you're watching what Tesla and Google and the other, you know, five or six major players on self-driving cars, they are currently driving millions upon millions of miles up and down the West Coast on driverless semi-trucks, 18-wheelers. Really? Like there's no, no physical person even as a fail-safe sitting in the cabin? There is a fail-safe, okay. uh, but that person hasn't touched the controls for millions of miles. Wow. So what's interesting here is the reason no one's heard of this is there hasn't been an accident. Because the second there's an accident, it's on front page news and you know, we all debate, you know, is, you know, should we give up our driving? The fact of the matter is, and th there's nobody that can disagree that self-driving cars are now safer than humans. We, Although just, we've seen situations where they've posted an accident where a car drove right into something. So it's, it's not perfect, but it's, you're making it sound like it's a lot more advanced than we think it is. Yeah, it's better than, it's, again, it's not perfect. No technology is perfect, but it's better than humans. We, we tend to be very poor drivers. We make bad decisions. We, you know, fiddle and we get distracted and we're thinking about different things. How many of us have driven somewhere and don't even remember, you know, driving? Right. I, I'll never forget when I got my first car, my dad, and it was a stick shift, and my dad had to teach me how to drive the stick shift, and I was driving back to college because the family car had died and I got my first car, and he said, now, you are not to put the radio on while you're driving the car because I don't want you distracted by the radio. I, I, that's completely different than all the distractions we see now. Yeah. So as an analyst, I look at it this way. I say, you know, let's, you know, you can get into the debate about self-driving cars. We're in the, you know, second inning of this baseball game. So are they going to get better? Yes. Have they already proven themselves to be better drivers than humans? Yes. Are the deaths going to be zero? No. There, there's too many things going on and too many variables, but we know by mile that, you know, flying in an airplane is the safest mode of travel. That being said, are there airplane crashes? Absolutely. Are they right. devastating? Yes. But over time, it gets better and better and better. I don't think the U.S. has had a major crash in, in decades. Knock on uh, wood. Airlines, knock on wood. Um, the fact of the matter, though, is other technology. So that's the number one job in America that today, you know, is already shipping technology that can replace it. That's a major disruption. Uh, okay. You look at others. If, I, if I'm a bank or a, a finance company. Okay. You know, when you run your credit card uh, at your local retailer or online, there are 17 companies that make money every time you swipe your card. All at the same time. All at the same time. So you know that little 3% that comes off that right. the retailer has to pay. You don't see it, but they pay the 3%. That 3% doesn't just go to Visa or MasterCard. That 3% gets split across 17 different companies who solved a really big problem like 30, 40 years ago before the internet of okay. how to make an international network, secure network of financial transactions. Again, they did really good job and they built this whole global economy of having moving money from, from one currency in one country to the next. So it, it, it's a massive, and they've earned the right to, to make, you know, the billions and trillions of dollars they make off those swipes. That being said, blockchain as a technology okay. replaces all that. All right, it's now blockchain, general, I know a lot of my listeners have no clue what that is, 
Okay. All right. So blockchain is just, uh, if you think about it as a ledger, uh, like an accountant has a ledger. And in the olden days, they write in the ledger every transaction. Right. In different color pen, black or red. Right. And they total up the ledger and things like that. All blockchain chain does is takes the steps of something that's complicated and basically publishes them, publishes them for everyone to see. They okay. become transparent. They also become you know, highly secure because you can't change the ledger. Okay. If there's a mistake, like an accountant, like you can't go and just erase a line of the ledger. What you do is you make another entry to counter the mistake. Okay. And kind of like, um, if you think of something uh, complicated, like a supply chain. So many of your listeners, most of your listeners have a cell phone. If you have an iPhone, your iPhone has 900 different things in it from 900 different places. That's all? all. I would have sure more. So it's a group of, you know, the processor has sand in it, silicon. And you, all these, you know, there's mines in Africa and other places of the world that, you know, are digging up the minerals and, and, and componentry. Right. And, and different parts of the, um, uh, you know, uh, pieces and parts to, to make up your iPhone, the plastic, the metals, every, everything else. So I, you know, in terms of that iPhone, Apple has to go and contract with, you know, 900 different sources. And obviously for redundancy, you know, they have to go and get two or three suppliers of each. Right. You can just think of the complexity of that. But as a consumer, we're all changing. When we drink coffee, we don't want, you know, child labor in some you know, mafia to be making yeah. money off that coffee bean, which in a lot of cases in South America is happening. So there's a company called Ethical Bean that actually goes back and as you're drinking the coffee, it costs a lot more. But as you're drinking the coffee, you can kind of feel that from right from the point that bean was harvested to the point that it's, you know, in your cup, that it's all been on the up and up. You feel good that, you know, you haven't caused it. And in the iPhone, you can't say that. Because right. there are a lot of things and there's warlords and there's a lot of stuff going on. And you can do a lot of reading about, you know, some of these raw materials and how corrupt they are. But they turn into this device that is well-meaning. You buy it from a very well-meaning company. So you feel okay about it. The question to you as a consumer is, would you pay more for your next iPhone if it was an ethical iPhone? if not one child was involved in the mining of those raw materials, if not one warlord profited off of corruption in terms of getting that mineral to Apple, if, if all the way along the way, you could actually look at the ledger and you could trace all 900 of those things. You never would, but right. somebody you know, could trace all 900 of those things back to the earth and every step along the way ensure that the device in your hand was made in a positive, socially positive way. Well, that's an interesting conversation, Jay, because the pandemic has really shown us where our supply chain comes from, right? We, we always thought, well, at least I did for a lot of it, that there were a lot more things here in the United States that fed our, say, food supply chain or our paper goods supply chain. And then all of a sudden you go to the store and you can't get the things that you wanted. And we have a mutual friend, Arlen Sorensen. 
And I was talking to Arlen because he's, in addition to being this tech genius, right, and this business genius, he is an Iowa farm boy. He has a farm. And I, you know, I hear these stories about, you know, they're not making the money because their international buyers aren't buying the U.S. stuff that they're selling. And I'm like, well, why can't you just pivot and sell to the U.S. market? Because we can't get produce, right? Because a lot of our produce, when you start looking at it and actually look at it, like you said, with all the different parts of the iPhone, are coming from foreign markets. So we're not using what we make, we're sending what we make out because it's more profitable. And we're bringing in what we need to survive, to live on because it's less expensive. And this is not even an iPhone conversation, this is avocados, this is uh, broccoli, this is toilet paper, you know, even chicken. I mean, I've seen the frozen produce bags. I didn't know this until recently. Uh, there was a Trader Joe's organic vegetable mix. It came from China. Never thought of that. To me, we were eating U.S. vegetables. So from your perspective of thinking to the future, looking at supply chain, looking at this whole, I, I love the conversation you have often on indirect economies. How will that be shifting things and should the entrepreneur, the business owner, be thinking about how they can transform their business because people are thinking about who gets hurt. Maybe I do want to spend a little bit more for something. We're becoming smarter as consumers, but we're still very early. Uh, we know when we buy a car, when we buy a TV, you know, we do the research and we hit all these different things to make ourselves very educated. Uh, but we're not even halfway there yet in terms of the level of education we can get. Okay. And that's why I say I think the consumer of the future is going to be aggressive on buying from vendors and manufacturers and farmers and people who share more data, who make us feel better that we're making the world a better place. Uh, the uber point in all of this, though, talking about the future of work, talking about the 17 people who make right. money when you run a car, talking about farmer, it all rolls back to technology. The disruption, whether it's AI in one case, whether it's blockchain in another, there's examples in every industry, in everything you buy, in everything you do every day. There's examples in the racial inequality, the pandemonium that's going on today that has a blockchain element to it okay that for those that argue um and and i think very wrongly that there is no systemic racism built into every moment uh, of our lives mm. um you know those people that argue that there isn't you know blockchain is that open transparent ledger that may open up people's eyes to say that there is okay in what way so in you know when i look at consumer behavior you know, I think of a, a bunch of moments in, in that journey. Okay. But when I think of, you know, these deeper issues, I go back to birth. And if okay. you're fighting okay. headwinds from the moment of birth, your, your, your whole, you know, socioeconomic headwinds, and from an education perspective, from a healthcare perspective, from a leadership perspective, from a- Access to food perspective. Access. So of all the moments you have in your life, 
if, if those moments, and I'm not saying that there's actual walls that, that stop you, but if you have to get over speed bumps and get through these and, and lean into these headwinds your entire mm -hmm. life, there are people, and this is what people point to, you know, there's people that very successfully do that and get to the top. Okay. And, and, and the fact is, is that is much harder than having the wind behind you, you know, getting bored on third base and thinking you hit a triple. Right. So, um, you know, if people were opened up to these examples of these moments of, you know, what seems like a little bit of a headwind that you need to persevere, but if every part of your life has headwinds against it, you know, being able to finish high school, being able to get into college, being able to, you know, do the most basic things, being able to eat, you know, all these things, if, if, if everything is a struggle, well, you're going to have, you know, at the end of the days, a, a set of inequalities. Right. It just, you know, it, it's just there. And until we can get, you know, we have ethical beings today. If we can get to an ethical iPhone, it would be great to have an ethical society to know that every moment is truly fair. And it doesn't matter who you are and what your background is and what you look like. I mean, it is just completely fair. And all of us will strive again as consumers, as, you know, as neighbors and, and friends, we're going to strive for everyone to truly get, you know, equality that the same shot. So you like me believe in the Star Trek Federation version of the world where there is no poverty, there is no hunger, everybody's treated equal, it doesn't matter where you came from, you all have the same opportunities. What we've seen recently in the world is that no longer is it hidden, right? It was always there, but you wanted to turn your back on it, just like, just like the iPhone, like the whole blood diamond thing. Nobody really thought about it till that came out, the, what was happening and where these diamonding from and how they were mined and, and all of that. And I'm showing my age talking about things like that. But but we see that a lot. I mean, I remember growing up, there was the whole campaign in the 70s of uh, Made in the USA, look for the union label. And I remember my parents doing that and my grandparents and looking for was this Made in the USA. But now there's more that you have to look for with those things, Jay. And I'm curious your perspective on this because we've transformed to such a global model. And it's not just worrying about made in the USA, being a, U a US citizen, right? You're from Canada. Made in Canada, made in the UK, made in wherever. The supply chains have blurred so much that it's hard to know even if something like, I've recently had to buy a new car. The one before it, I knew that they had manufacturing plants in the US or in Sweden, I thought. Mm -hmm. And somebody said, go look, open the car door and look. And it said it was made in China. I did not know that. My new car that I just got does not say that. And it's very clearly says some components from here, some components from here put together here. Where do you see that going? I mean, I, I everybody wants a subscription model, but that often makes it difficult for your business to pivot there as well, because you're pulling things from so many different places. How do you even know anymore? 
Yeah, so I am probably the furthest thing you'd find from a nationalist. Um, and I'm a Canadian and now a US citizen, but uh, the fact of the matter is economics is going to drive that answer. Okay. Um, yes, there's a percentage of the population that will spend 10, 20, 30% more to get the American flag stamped on it. Again, there is no blockchain here, so we don't understand if it was assembled in the US using a bunch of Chinese parts, which is most of the cases. Right. You know, if you look at the sourcing one behind that vendor or manufacturer who did it, the fact is, is they're putting together a bunch of steel and, and stuff that was actually fabricated somewhere else and plastic, mm -hmm. you know, all comes out of China. So, you know, is it really made in the USA? That's kind of the, the question, but economics is always going to drive the most efficiency in terms of getting products to market. The vast majority of people, and out of that 70s example that you gave, came Walmart, which basically was the first tip of the spear, which gave people the option of buying you know, something cheap and plastic to right. solve a problem uh, without the background of where it was coming from. And by the way, 90% of it came from China. So that Walmart generation, it wasn't Walmart's fault. Walmart you know, was an economic, um, delivery agent of what anyway. society needed at, at the toll. Like it didn't really cover the 10 or 20% of people who really wanted to, you know, have it made in America, but 80% of people didn't. They don't care. They just want to buy for price. Right. And now Amazon with their third party seller model has just taken what Walmart did and, you know, multiplied that in an order of magnitude, you know, multiplied that by at least 10, if not a hundred. It's the Sears catalog there. on crack. Yeah. So if you're now a consumer, and by the way, you care about Made in America, there's things you can do inside Amazon or inside Walmart to ensure that. But in the total is you're going to go in there and figure out, you know, for a car, you're going to say good, better, best, you know, where you want to kind of land. Uh, for a spatula in your kitchen, you're going to kind of do good, better, best. I can buy one at the dollar store. I, I can guarantee where that one comes. Or I can buy a $25 Pampered Chef one. Yes, the Pampered Chef one will probably last your lifetime. It has more structural, blah, blah, blah. But at this point in time, I'm not a chef. I need to flip a burger. Right. A dollar in, in my current frame of thinking, and I don't care if you're rich or poor, a dollar right now is what I want to spend because the function of flipping a burger doesn't change between you know, a product that's $25 difference in price. Yeah, how does it make it that much better? And I know that there are chefs who are listening <laughs> that are yeah. probably going, oh no, you need that $25 spatula, but for the average person, as you're saying. But okay. everybody gets to make their decision. And so I would love to buy the $25 spatula that is an ethical spatula. Okay. That I want to make sure right from the raw materials, right through manufacture, right through shipping, and warehousing and distribution and the retailer that I bought it from, I wanna make sure that I check all the boxes, that everything's on the up and up, and that that $25 actually went to make a better society than one fat cat in the middle that you know, pocketed 20 of the 25 right. and is you know, out on their luxury yacht and you know, things like that. So those are the things I would love to get more information as a consumer uh, in, but it, again, it goes back to an emerging technology. Okay. You know, it's not just blockchain. It can be Internet of Things, which can monitor all of these steps or each of these moments through video, through audio, through different sensors to make sure that there's no human recording these transactions in this ledger. It's 
a, a set of systems that are ensuring compliance and governance and, and things like that to, to make the world a better place. So if technology is as invasive, well, you know, I'm a geek, so I totally believe you, but I'm, I'm playing the conversation of my listeners here right now. So if technology is so invasive and we're seeing that every company is becoming a technology company, I mean, even the mom and pop stores on some level are a technology company. I mean, I'm still surprised that my hairdresser does not accept credit cards. She still only takes checks or cash. But that also limits the growth of, of her business to a certain point. Where I live in Vero Beach, Florida, it tends to be older people. But as those older people who are used to cash and checks drift, if she wants to stay in business, she's got to get with the Apple Pay or the, um, you know, some other method of, of paying. Not that she has to get into using electronic bitcoins and things like that, but you know she has to have some other way. How does or what should? That's probably a, I think a, a better question for the conversation. What should a business owner today, an entrepreneur, be thinking about with where the future is going to take their businesses? There are people that are completely out of business. Restaurants that. Um, right now, with the global pandemic, they don't know what to do to survive. Retail stores that literally had no online presence, the mom and pop ones, they're having to rethink it, but they're scared, Jay, because they, they don't even know, will this last? Will it change? I, I'm just not sure what to do, right? But then you have the Casper mattress models of the world or uh, bulletproof coffee where you get it sent to you, or you know the ethical coffee you were talking about, those are direct to consumer created brands. What would be your advice, suggestion, questions that these owners need to be asking who are not thinking about what you're thinking? Yeah, so COVID um, was a surprise to obviously everyone. Uh, it's the first human-based failure we've had in about 100 years. And, you know, basically sending everyone home, doing the sheltering in place, and basically shuttering the economy, the, the strip malls and the mom and pa shops and stuff like that, uh, you know, beyond unprecedented. Um, this is a model that, you know, I'm not sure any business owner had in their contingency plans. You know, as much of planners as they are, I mean, this is the nuclear option. And um, yeah, there was a, a lot of fear and um, in everything that drove this. The other thing is it didn't affect everybody the same. And I'm in Florida with you. And as we were watching New York, you know, a couple of months ago, we were pretty scared watching our friends and neighbors and family yeah. up in New York uh, go through what they're going through. And then this weekend, we just eclipsed their record uh, by a lot. We didn't and just eclipse Florida, it, we shattered it. And now Florida is the epicenter, you know, based on some, you know, rushing back to, you know, normal and, right. you know, kind of ignoring science and things like that. But COVID as a, as a thing affects retail, hospitality. There's certain industries that just got hammered. We're talking about 90% reductions in revenue. Whereas you look at the MSP business or the tech business that you had, you know, during that March and April, they sent everyone home, bought them a laptop, 
got them into a VPN security. I mean, they all had 74% of them went up in revenue during the first parts right. of COVID. It was a if huge they could find the equipment to install, because the supply chain broke. But it's good. In, in the end, they sent people home with these consumer laptops, like plastic laptops. Well, guess what? Now, over the summer, it's an opportunity to go and secure and reduce the risk and build out a redundancy and compliance and right. build out a continuity plan. And I'm going to say there's like a list of 12 tech services right now during the summer that customers need, given that, you know, everybody's at home on this consumer grade equipment on a consumer network, on a consumer router that you share with your neighbor that you're trying to get enterprise class data through. So all of these, you know, the good ones, the, the right. tech companies are out there talking to customers saying, you know, this is what you need for security. And here are the new threat vectors. Here's what the new remote topology is. You know, a bunch of buzzwords, mystery right. equals margin in this business. And they're making money where, you know, retailers and, and restaurants and, and hospitality had to furlough all their people. They have to figure out with, you know, government stimulus and with, you know, personal savings, how to keep paying their rent because that keeps coming due. Right. How to pay the utilities. Like the, the business is shuttered, but the expenses, you know, don't shut down. And so as long as this goes on, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's very scary. But other industries are, are, are doing okay. You know, they transferred. You talked to direct to consumer. Um, this was rising before COVID. And, you know, for example, Forrester, uh, the firm that I work at, are predicting 17% of all transactions will go web, direct, e-commerce, or marketplace within okay. three years. This is a huge shift of dollars. So in the B2B space, business to business, there's $13 trillion that these restaurants, these mom and pa shops buy. Right. It's a big number. 17% of that is a $2 trillion movement of money from what was traditionally uh, the supply chain or the intermediaries, the distributors, the wholesalers, the, the people they would have bought it from into more of a direct model. And we know this is happening in consumer. Okay. Uh, industry by industry, it's different. Like the car you bought had to be through a dealer by law. For a hundred years, those car dealers have had a very strong uh, uh, union and, and a very strong uh, set of lobby in their state and federally. I didn't so they, know it was by law. That's interesting. You can only buy a car today. And Tesla is trying to break this model. So Tesla, you know, came out and said, I want, you know, a direct model for cars because it totally makes sense. There's a majority of the population that would actually buy that way today. Well, they couldn't do it. So they had to open up these little uh, stores inside the mall. Oh, I remember those. They're really weird. And now they're trying to shut them down because state by state, Tesla is now lobbying to say, this doesn't make any sense. I can buy a mattress. I can buy a toothbrush. I can basically buy anything now, direct consumer. And it's just a subscription model. My new toothbrush shows up every month. Um, that's the way the world's going. Even cars are becoming less of a, a capital expenditure. And now, you know, many car manufacturers have a monthly subscription. And just like your phone, just like other things, you know, every so many years you get a new car and you just set it and forget it. You just start paying this monthly amount forever. And you're always driving something relatively new. Yeah, so, easy, amazingly how they switched us from you get all these discounts for your phone, the pass-throughs, and, and it became like a commodity to all of a sudden, no, we're not doing that anymore. You're going to pay every month. And people are like, okay, fine. They just sort of accepted it. Yeah. 
and just you know everything you buy and every industry that you know you interact with is going through these business model changes so if i go back to my original comment about you know 76 percent of ceos across the world think that their current business model the way they've done business for decades even a hundred years is going to stop and a new way of doing business is going to replace that which means they need to do every new every part of their business has to change the way they market and sell their products the okay. way they manufacture the way they build their supply chain the way they uh, do their financials their operations their hr everything employee experience everything changes in this new model and those companies that obviously don't transform into this new kind of entity are going to get uh, lapped by these companies that have come up you know in a different way do you think it's easier for any particular kind of business to make that pivot over another one yeah it's it's difficult i mean size is important you know if you're a fortune 2000 sized you know behemoth it's very you know difficult to turn the titanic right on the flip side if you're a small company it's just as difficult because everyone in your company has a set of tasks you're very tactical. You know, you don't have a lot of time to be strategic and no one has spare time to just go run a transformational project to change your company. So to ask a company to all of a sudden become from a VAR, you know, selling products, for example, in the tech industry, to becoming a managed service provider, which does it on a monthly recurring, that was a really difficult ask over the last 20 years. And over 80% of companies just never made the turn. And so as a small company, it's just as hard because you don't have the resources, you don't have the skills, you don't have the ability to just stop what you're doing, making money hourly, right. and go and work on this instead. So in the middle is the biggest opportunity, the M part of SMB and the mid-market are those companies that aren't big enough yet to not be able to turn the ship, but are big enough that have professional heads of marketing, heads of sales, heads of operation, heads of finance, that have the experience to transform their own departmental way of doing things, which will roll up in a company change. That's where the, the, the biggest change is. And the future large companies are going to be the mid-market sized companies today that are nimble enough to, you know, to make these changes. I remember watching a couple of movies, I don't remember which they were, and there were some advertisements too, where these little companies in New York in a big skyscraper and they're looking across the, the view, higher up into another building, saying, I wish we were like X company, which is you know this big Fortune 100 behemoth. And then they cut to that conference room, and that conference room is looking back at these other people saying, we need to think more like that company over there because they're so nimble and they can think and move. Have you noticed from, you've been with some of the top companies in the world, you've traveled virtually all over the world, which we'll talk about why, how, how that's been for you not being able to travel. Um, are there certain characteristics that you have seen that enable somebody to more successfully make those transitions or see them and enact and act upon them? Yeah, the one thing that jumps out uh, above everything else, and we have, I have colleagues that are PhD level analysts that think about this all day long. 
um, it's wrapped around customer obsession. Oh, um, I like some customer companies, obsession. Some companies are just obsessed over how they sell, how they market their customer. Uh, recently, you know, companies are getting much smarter about what we call that customer journey from that, whether you're a consumer or a business, from that very first time you had that problem and you needed, you know, kind of to solve a problem or you had a pain, um, we're getting really good digitally at looking at every single moment. So when you bought that car, you know, you, you go online, you can watch videos, you can read magazines about comparisons. There are 365 kinds of cars. Don't know if you know that. There's one for every day of the year. I did not know that. So at some point, and yesterday, the new Ford Bronco came out. So we have 366. Uh, but the fact of the matter is you started here and you had to narrow down because there's no way to you know, go and test drive 366 kinds of cars. I did. <laughs> so do you want an SUV? Do you want a sedan? Do you want a this? Do you want a that? So you, you start to make these uh, assessments about on your needs. You know, what does my family look like? Am I hauling stuff? Do I need a trailer stuff? You know, do I need a lot of storage? Do I want a convertible to look cool in Florida? You know, you, you start making a lot of decisions. The fact of the matter is you're just going through this funnel down to a set of shortlisted cars. You know, hopefully, you know, a couple of cars, two, three, four cars right. that you're going to put head to head. You've chosen your category. You've kind of chosen with, but you're going to go out to peer networks. You're going to go out to social networks. You're going to go out to all these different things. But we call these moments. Every one of those moments are influential for you buying that okay. car. So at some point you're going to reach vendor selection and you're going to step foot on a dealer because they force you to do that. That's the law is right. you have to buy a car from a dealer today. That will soon change. But before you step foot on that dealer, you've gone through and done dozens upon dozens upon dozens of things, moments that have narrowed it right down to the point where you've chosen your car, you've colored it, you've configured it online. You've gone and checked out the pricing. You know the invoice cost at the dealer. So you're probably within because $100. Because of technology, right? Yeah. You know those costs because you can search. now this smart consumer that walk in and then the dealership breaks it all. You sit there for eight hours and they're trying to get you that deal. And you know, you're sitting there going, I know what I'm going to pay within $100 because uh, I've done all the research. I know what your cost already is. You know, let's just skip all this you know, stuff we used to do 10, 20 years ago. And I would pay you $100 more, maybe even $1,000 more, if you just give me the car, drive it, put it on my driveway and hand me the keys. And because of COVID, you know, put it in a sealed container and put it in my mailbox. But that's, that's, <laughs> the the new approach. that's the new world though, is that don't take me through that old, hey, I got to go talk to my manager and we're going to get you a deal. Like, just don't put me through that anymore. That's not customer obsession. Understanding a customer 73% of consumers today actually prefer the marketplace model, the Amazon model. Kind of this idea that I can go out and I can get smart and I can transact and two days later, it shows up on my driveway. So with 73, and by the way, as consumers get younger, that goes up. 83% okay. of millennials and 93% of Generation uh, Z who are you know, now getting their first jobs. So this is the future. And if you think that there's, and if I'm a retailer, if I'm a mom and pa shop, you know, regardless of my industry, I gotta get obsessed over that customer, but really start to think about their moments. Every moment is surrounded by influence. So what you read, 
what you consumed, who you followed, who you talked to, everything you did during that car journey before you stepped foot on that dealership, those moments had the ability to influence you one way or another. If you had very poor moments on one particular manufacturer, they would have lost the deal before ever knowing there was a deal. So their job, if they're customer obsessed, is to figure out who your sphere of influence are right. and influence the influencer. There's a high likelihood that the ebook you read or the podcast you listened to wasn't the manufacturer's. It was somebody else. In the car world, it could have been a magazine like Motor Trend or Car and Driver. Right. It, could have been, it could be Edmunds, who's a big site that does comparisons. I mean, there's so many different influencers in the car industry. But how you influence the influencer, there's also these super connectors that are out there driving these podcasts. They're out speaking. They're out, you know, really above, a, above everyone else. It's a key part of my research is knowing who the top 100 people are in every little customer scenario. I am honored that you included my podcast in your countdown of the top podcasts. So thank you. <laughs> because it's highly influential. And if I want to influence the influencers in a certain market, your, your podcast actually covers lots of markets. Right. But in the particular market I wrote that list about, you're highly influential. So if I'm somebody that wants to influence the influencer, speaking with you and getting visibility through you is a key element of that. So customer okay. obsession is far and away the number one thing you have to think about going forward. And then the layer of the onion above that is this sphere of influence around your customer, understanding that there's multiple people and multiple moments. And the more of those that you can influence and the more endorsements you can get, the more, you know, people out there, influential people, super connectors that are saying nice things about you at very important moments in time is going to earn you so much more business down the line. And that's the magic of the future. And it doesn't matter if it's through a marketplace. It doesn't matter if it's through a retail shop or a car dealership. The actual point of transaction now, and this is a big change for the future, is becoming so much less important. How well, people I choose to consume is becoming less important. I find it fascinating because I love the term customer obsession and your idea. Every moment is surrounded by influence. And I wrote those notes down because I've been obsessed my whole career when I worked corporate and when I had my own business. And then with the work I do now with, with clients, this whole idea that it's not about customer experience, it's really about customer obsession, which provides this exceptional customer experience. If everything you do in your business is around your obsession of making your customers have the best whatever that they can have, whether it's the best life, the best travel experience, um, you know, like I'm a raving fan of Marriott hotels. Okay. You, you may not be, Jay, you're like this world traveler. You may like a certain airline, uh, South, Southwest Airlines, known for their customer obsession. Through COVID, we've begun to see companies fall apart because they didn't have customer obsession. They had bottom line obsession. Yeah. And they couldn't translate that when things started falling apart because they didn't have the, the raving loyalty, the fans, the people went, you know, it's harder to deal with them than it is with 
that other company over there, they seem to care more about, about things. If you were to say one step that a business, whether they're struggling or not today, because some are, some aren't, I think that even the ones that feel they're not struggling need to be looking at things. Because if you feel you're not struggling, then tomorrow you could be. There's, as Daniel Burris, um, who's, uh, I'm a huge fan of his, the anticipatory organization says, you always need to be looking, never get complacent. Is there one tip that you would say to those people, here's one thing you can do right now to become more customer obsessed? Yeah, so, I mean, the industry term for it, and I hate jargon, uh, is called journey mapping. Uh, and this idea that every customer, when you bought that car, um, you know, from that first moment you had a pain, like your old car broke down or your old car was just getting long in the tooth. It I mean, was too loud. Very, too loud. There it is. So it could have been a hundred thousand reasons. Uh, but the fact of the matter is when you actually hit that tipping point where you said, you know what, I'm going to start this journey. Um, you know, if I'm answering the question that says, you know, what am I going to do first? I need to understand your moments, not only yours um, and how you got, but everyone's, you know, what are those moments? And the thing you do when you do this journey mapping and, 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 and get obsessed over these little moments is you learn as a company, doesn't matter what industry you're in, that you don't own the majority of moments. 75% oh. of the world flows indirectly. The ma and pa shop delivers, the VAR, the every industry, the dealer. You bought your last car from a dealer. You bought your last TV from a retailer. You bought your last jar of peanut butter from a grocer. Every industry has these delivery routes to market called go to market. But the fact of the matter is in the majority of cases, they own the moments, not you. It's not your company that owns that journey. Okay. So when, when, when you come to that realization and, and, and when you stare at it long enough, you start to learn that my ability to influence other third parties who I don't control, who have freedom to do whatever they want and follow whoever they want and endorse whoever they want, my ability to influence the influencer, my ability to influence third parties and have the best, it's calculus because you're not going to get into every moment, but what you're trying to do is get into the most moments in the most meaningful way to exert the most positive influence, which, as you said, leads to customer experience. In an ethical way. So you're not manipulating them and you have to, to deliver the point where it drives revenue, it drives profit, it drives loyalty, it drives all the things you want. And in a subscription business, it drives retention and renewal and a happy customer for life. That's the goal. But you're not going to get anywhere close to that without going right to the very beginning. 81% of consumers start with a Google search. So if you're running a business today, go and place yourself you know, as your customer, do that Google search with their pain point, and look at what the Google algorithm provides. Because what's on page one or page two is where they start their journey. And every single listing on that Google, there might be a competitor too, but maybe not, but the eBooks, the white papers, the podcasts, the social posts, all the things that are posted on Google 
are potential partners of yours. Okay. You know why? Because they're influencing your customer. They are what the internet you know, is responding to them as a solution to their problem, or at least guidance. If you can work with them and educate them on how you make it 10% better or how your product or service or solution okay. fits, you're now influencing the influencer, influencing more moments and driving more positive customer experience, driving more business. That's it. That's the, that's the new world. I don't know if anybody can see my hair is standing on Ed right now. That is, I've never heard anybody say that before, which considering how long I've been in business, how long I've been interviewing people for my show, this is my fifth season, right? The whole idea of journey mapping to, that's just, I've never heard it put that way before, right? We all talk about what, what's your customer thinking? How are they finding you? But the idea of their journey, what got them on the journey to go buy this shirt from Chico's? Yeah. Was it color? Was it fit? Was it style? Was it nothing other than the fact that I just happened to walk into a store one day and it was right in front of me? Well, if they can't walk into the store to see it, what would somebody who wants to buy that shirt in that color be thinking? And I'm just using the shirt as an example. But this device right here that I'm using, this Sennheiser, um, I, when I got the sound-induced vertigo, that made it impossible for me to put a headset on or an earbud in my ear. I called headsets.com. You're familiar with them. They're like the world leader in headsets but they're like Southwest in that they're just really cool. They send you Tootsie Rolls for free, just if you call them up and, and whatever. I explained my problem to them. And you know, first I had bought several different kinds of headsets trying to make it work and I had to return them. And then somebody called me and they said, you've had some of our top headsets, they're not working for you. Can we talk? We wanna understand what's going on for you. And the, the salesperson that called me said, we don't do this very often. We have one speakerphone, microphone headset from system from Sennheiser. Let me send it to you for a 60 day free trial and tell me whether that works for you. We want you to be totally happy with the solution and you have a situation where you can't use anything else. Try this. We're not gonna take any credit card information from you right now or anything, but try it. That's customer obsession. That's understanding my journey. Yep. Any business can do that. A restaurant, um, a consulting business, um, tech services companies, anybody. If you don't understand what brings your customer, what's their first thought that says to get them there? Oh my God, sorry, Jay. I'm just like so excited about this concept. It's brilliant. Well, why, while you did that, the first thing I did is I just Googled Vertigo can't wear headphones. Right. So the Google results on page one and page two, if, if I was Sennheiser, if, I, if I'm that speaker you're talking into right now, if I'm that company, right. I'm getting obsessed over every single thing that Google thought ought to be solving my Vertigo can't wear headphones problem. Wow. So I'm staring at this list now and I'm looking at, I mean, there are some medical things like Harvard is on here, but now I'm looking at the AARP and I'm looking at other things 
there is a bunch of influence for people just like you that influence your journey, the moments. And if I'm Sennheiser, and they may have probably never done this, but I would start going through every single one of these because none of them compete with Sennheiser. Like there isn't a Bose system here. There isn't a Jabra, you know, nothing. Jabra system here and a little snowball system here, whatever those are. I mean, it's not just a list of products. It's a list of influence, which are people, um, which are things that are empathetic. You know, I, I understand, I believe you. I understand what you're going through. It's a real problem. It affects, you know, this percentage of Americans. And now that we're all working at home, the future of work, you know, where we all have to kind of wear headphones and talk right. through Zoom all day long, this is a big problem. Yeah. You know, you've lost that office environment, which might have mitigated your vertigo a little bit. So yeah. here's the conversation. Here's the future of the conversation. The tipping point of the conversation is that there's a new, because of COVID, there's a new future of work, which makes it a more important topic. And instead of selling into all of these different results on Google, I'm going to add myself to their community and add value. And because we have researchers that have thought about this, we have technology that we have patented, we're, we've thought a lot about it. And here's how we can add value to your set of, you know, the tribe that you lead, the people that read your stuff and the people that you influence. And you can come together and you're non-competitive and you can add value. One plus one equals three to people like you who want to solve the problem. Right. All right. Now I just looked at the clock and saw <laughs> you and I could talk for hours and hours and hours a day. I want to make sure people know how to find you to, you have an amazing blog out there. The information you post on Forrester can apply to any industry, not just the tech world. And I have a ton of tech followers. And if they're not following you, Jay, they should be because it's really, you're the future of, of what's happening. So how do people reach out to you? Yeah, lots of different ways. You can find me on Twitter, uh, the letter J McBain. Uh, find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'll accept your LinkedIn. We can have a conversation uh, there. I do have a blog on Forrester that if you just Google it, you, you'll find it. Um, I also have jmcbain.com where I talk about travel adventures to 100 countries and the upcoming trip to Antarctica, which, you know, as far as I can tell, penguins don't have COVID. Um, but you know, hopefully that is able to work with the family and stuff like that. So yeah, easy, easy to find me and um, happy to have a conversation on any of those mediums. That'd be great. I, I wanted to talk to you so much about your travel and the fact that you've had to be home for so long, but we're, we're running a long time, but real quick, you've been a road warrior, a traveler. What's it like for you being home and how are you coping with that? Yeah. I do work at home. So, I mean, this office environment is what, but every other day I'd be getting on a plane to go do a keynote. Now it's all on Zoom. So, you know, I have a couple of other keynotes today. So it's just a different environment where you deliver more uh, in a more compacted uh, time frame. But the time with the family, uh, I've got two kids in college, but I've got two kids that are in preschool. Um, this will never be replaced. You know, I'll look back 10 years, 20 years from now and you know, being with them, swimming with them in Florida every day and kind of this new environment, um, it'll be a blessing. Um, so, you know, yeah, I mean, we, we love to travel. We love to get uh, around the world. Last year at this time, we were on a 15 country, 21 day tour of the world. I remember um, that. We literally flew around the world. We touched every continent uh, on the way. Uh, and this year we're at home. 
Um, but, you know, we, we've got uh, a really positive um, attitude about it. And, you know, th this time, again, with the kids uh, that I'm not on an airplane and not staring, staying at a Marriott um, will be, uh, you know, highly cherished. Oh, I'm, I'm so glad for that. I know you've been riding your bicycle a lot. So you're traveling just very differently than you, than you used to travel. And your wife, Michelle, who I just adore, as you know, um, you guys live your life very much on social, sharing all of that. And I'll have to perhaps have you back on another day where we can talk about tracking your life and your journey to becoming the, the futurist that you are and the man that you are today in the world who is an exceptional human being on the planet. So thank you for that, Jay. All right, I look forward to part two. Yeah, absolutely. So um, everybody, you can follow Jay on social media anywhere. You can go to his uh, blog site as well. Jay, what's that site again? JayJMcBain.com. Okay, which has so much fun stuff up there. And follow him on LinkedIn. There's lots of great material on at Forrester's. I, this conversation was so important to me to have because the world is shifting, the world is changing, and you don't always know what that journey is going to bring for you. If one aspect of today's interview made you think of something different, post it out on social media, online, on Jay's. Let us know what triggered for you, what, how you're shifting your thinking, because that's what I am all about on this show, because it is all about the questions. And remember, the right questions can change your life. So what are you asking today? You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today.